Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Nolan. Our topic of the week is the new companion that was just released for Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition from Paradox Entertainment uh, earlier this week. But before we get into that, Nolan, what's going on in your world? Anything fun and exciting? No. Long weekend of work, uh, getting ready for the holidays. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> I was taking a drink when you just went, no. no <laughs> not nothing fun and exciting. It's, well, I understand. It's a long it's week, like and yeah, I was gonna say we we worked yesterday, and a little bit of wow rating here and there, but time just kind of seems to go faster and faster the more stuff you want to do. So, isn't that the truth? You know, I, that's that's one thing. Like I, I think about, like even this morning, I was up at six thirty and had a couple things that I needed to do. Um, and I thought, man, I need to go downstairs. I wanted to play uh, Star Wars Squadrons this morning because I, I told you I wanted to give that another chance. And then I thought, well, I also wanted to start watching uh, season two of The Mandalorian. Nothing. Did not get any of that done. Ran around doing all sorts of other things, making sure, you know, mostly that we were ready for this today. Um, and then, of course, we have D&D later today. So I was, you know, making sure I'm ready for that. And just I'm like, well, there goes the time. It's just kind of lame. <laughs> Okay, so we we've got some stuff to talk about. Uh, I wish I could tell you, you know, when it comes to fun and exciting, that uh, I did some cool stuff. But as as we said, we we worked all weekend, and I have not been able to dive into Cyberpunk any more than what I did last weekend. But it sounds like there's some issues with Cyberpunk that I thought we should talk about today. So on Monday of last week, uh, CD Projekt Red made an apology to those people who purchased Cyberpunk 2077 on PS4 or Xbox One. And this is a, I'm just going to read the apology. It says, Dear gamers, first of all, we'd like to apologize to you for not showing the game on base last-gen consoles before it premiered and in consequence not allowing you to make a more informed decision about your purchase we should have paid more attention to making it play better on ps4 and xbox one so that's a direct quote from the apology it goes on to say that they're working on fixing bugs and crashes and to improve the overall experience that they have made plan or and they have plans for first rounds of updates to come out this past week with more to follow after the holidays they also said that anyone who is dissatisfied with their purchase may get a refund. They suggest you work through your retailer first before reaching out to them. They will be accessible. Uh, CD Projekt Red will be accessible until December 21st. They finished the apology with a PS letting PC players know that they're getting regular fixes and updates too. So that's all well and good. And Nolan, I'm sure you saw this apology as well. So here's, here's, it gets... <laughs> As as what was it? Um, Paul Harvey used to say, and now the rest of the story. On Friday, Sony pulled the game from the PlayStation Network. Sony is now offering full refunds for folks who purchase the game digitally, uh, and at the moment, the game uh, is available to be added for to your wish list only if you can even find the page on the PlayStation Network. Apparently, it takes some backward searching to get to that page. CD Projekt Red has said that they're working hard to bring the game back to PSN. Now, this happened Friday morning. By Friday afternoon, Xbox had pulled it as well. And Nolan, you had told me there were some other things that you saw yesterday about this refund. Um, so I wanted to get, number one, your thoughts on the whole process with this refund. And then I wanted to talk to you also a little bit about what you were telling me about what some people were upset about when it came to the refund. So I'll turn it over to you i i think it's hard you know i think they uh it's kind of like the lockdown right it's like nobody wants to do it and then you do it and then you do it half ass and it's still shitty afterwards because you did it wrong it's like you know they did their delay they uh said it was going to be but so 
why not delay it again? Why not? You know, I and at that point, you know, it comes down to money. Uh, you don't know how much of what they've got going on is COVID related. You know, were they anticipating just being next generation and realizing that that wasn't going to happen because of the way the world is right now? And so they threw it together last moment and said, well, we got to have something for somebody to make sales. Uh, I don't I don't know. I, I can't so imagine it's fun. As let me developer. let me ask you this because they they did develop it multiple times and the last time quite legitimately got death threats would do you, i mean as if you were cd project red would you risk delaying it again i i think it's i mean you can't fix people from being stupid but you can fix a quality product and i think for both of us we're food and beverage people right so if right. the chicken's not cooked you don't just serve it because the customer's been waiting hey listen we put it out there and uh, you might die from food poisoning uh, or i could have waited another five minutes and made sure it was done right and you would have still been equally i mean you, you could get a little more pissed but you can't get people walking you know what i mean like do do something more do something there but this here's th it's a death threat for the game at this point they've killed the game uh, and so that was kind of the thing. Unfortunately, it's not yeah. not saying that you should value a life over another. I mean, people doing death threats and stuff like that and being upset is not going to end. I'm sure they're getting just as many now that they've, you know, it's a no win situation. But I think if you're going to do that, you err on the side of quality, uh, or at least I would hope so versus a money grab. And that's what it probably not what it is, but that's what it feels like. I was saying, well, we're out of time. Just go with it and we'll patch it later. And hopefully people will forgive us versus we want it to be what it's supposed to be. But. So I don't disagree with you, especially looking at it from a food and beverage background. Um, I do think that we see too often um, people do rush projects, uh, even coming from the newspaper world. I saw, I've seen projects get rushed and multiple mistakes made, and then you're issuing apologies. And sometimes it is best just to take that delay. Now I will say when it comes to this game, I'm not going to seek a refund. Uh, and that's actually something else I wanted to talk to you about because you had made mention yesterday about people seeking refunds but wanting to keep the game. Yeah, there were some people that were putting in complaints of they applied for a refund like on the PlayStation Network and they were like, okay, we're going to do it. Uh, should be back on your credit card two to three days or whatever and then complaining that they couldn't log in and play the game. And it's like that you sent it back. It went away just because you had it digitally. It doesn't mean that you get to keep it. Like it was just really weird. So I wonder... Like you said, you know, it, is it something that is fixable? Is it something that is, you know, a patch or two away? Or is it just that broken? Uh, I, I don't know. I get being frustrated with it, but wanting to have your cake and eat it too is a little disappointing. And I don't know. And maybe I'm just saying that because I've had other stuff to work on. If I wasn't rating in WoW, if I wasn't, you know, doing other things or busy. And that was, you know, I had, I, I, I get that, you know, I mean, I took time off for, or was scheduling time off for a while to do the expansion and, and then they didn't, and it wasn't ready and it wasn't ready. And is it flawless? No, but those are what patches are for. And I guess maybe it's just that I'm used to it from being a, a MMO player because nothing ever goes perfect or never plan on playing opening day because people are flooding the servers or launch days are always, I mean, I think it's just something I've gotten used to. So I, you can't win. I mean, you can't win because you can't make everybody happy ever in anything. So this is just 
on a bigger scale. I think it's sad that this is the fate of this game. I know a lot of people were looking forward to it. I was greatly looking forward to it. Uh, I know you were looking forward to it. So it just seems sad that this is the fate of this game. My hope is, is that the patches will fix it and make it more playable. I haven't run into a lot of the issues that a lot of people are talking about with the crashing and things like that. And I know I have an older generation Xbox One, um, <clears throat> but I haven't seen those issues. But again, I've only put a couple hours into it. I haven't been able to sit down and really play the game, which I'm sure once I do, I'll start seeing those issues. I know there was a patch that was just released, so I need to go ahead and get that installed. I haven't done that yet. Um, so I, yeah, I'm, I'm sad. I love the world of cyberpunk. Uh, I think I've told said on this podcast multiple times, cyberpunk is my favorite ro role-playing game that I've never played. Um, and it makes me very sad to see that the opportunity that I have to play it is shite. Well, and I think the as you attack it and people look at it, there's there's been games that have been missed in the past uh, because of this type of situation. And then people go back and you uh, get a shot at Game of the Year edition with all the patches and all the stuff, the final product. And, you know, people are playing out like, I can't believe you slept on this. And so I, I think this will be an opportunity, hopefully, for them to get it sorted out, do it right by the fans. Uh and hopefully we can talk about it you know people still talk about witcher 3 um, and the expansions and it's been years and years and hopefully we can look back now like you guys had a dog shit opening but look at where you came from that's how like final fantasy yeah. or realm reborn was uh the it's a realm reborn because they basically blew up the servers reset and started over and now it's top three mmos if not top two sometimes top one depending on where wow's at in a launch so gotcha gotcha so yeah the, i mean unfortunate but it is as they say as it is so let's move on um let's jump into some more news here which there's quite a bit coming out of dungeons and dragons now there's no new well i shouldn't say no new products but there isn't any confirmed new products coming out but it does appear that there has been some spoilers and we'll get to that in just a second as part of their holiday special though watsi has done some unusual or not unusual but some neat streams and well they had one particularly strange game that aired friday morning uh, this included some of the cast members of the popular netflix show stranger things the show was dm'd by chris perkins cast members included david harbour finn wolfhard natalie dyer uh gaten matarazzo uh, I, Nolan, I know you and I were both at work. Have you had a chance to go back and look at any of the videos on this? Yeah, I, I didn't either, uh, which is unfortunate. I, I would have liked to be, especially since, uh, Finn and, um, Gaten played two of the kids in Stranger Things who are actually, you know, they enjoy playing D and D. So it'd have been neat to watch. And, and David Harbour and Natalie would have been interesting to watch as well. I like it when they do these things though. I think it's interesting that they have these streams with these different celebrities, especially with people who may have never have heard of Dungeons and Dragons, maybe through Stranger Things and, are interested enough because they like the show to check out this stream and it could potentially lead them into playing D&D. What do you think? I think that's the goal for all of it. Honestly, uh, we, anytime you see that stuff, it, it, it is about introducing the people and I've been hard pressed to find, uh, and maybe there's just, you know, cause the celebrities get some of that stuff, but it's, you know, you see those people and you can watch them when they stream some of their first times playing the, the, I don't know. The addiction just roll over them you know I, I remember watching matt mercer and stephen colbert play and and just you know that that type of situation and even in a one-on-one -on -one, you know like that intimate setting uh you know vin diesel when he was doing uh you know the witcher stuff uh or not the witcher uh the last witch hunter yes uh 
playing the blood hunter you're just that that enjoyment of people uh seeing them light up seeing the reactions and and that's it is it's very addicting getting around and doing something and and letting the person who you are on the inside come out a little bit as well uh, i think is freeing for a lot of people so any opportunity to roll some dice or bring people in uh within moderation you know they don't need uh, Magic the Gathering pumping out a $70 source book every month trying to get, you know, the card players over, you know, like there's there's subtle ways of doing it. And I think this is a great way of having uh, some people that people enjoy hop in and play. Completely agree. It's been interesting seeing how, seeing so many celebrities come out and say, yeah, I love d and I've been playing for years. And one of those in particular happens to be Joe Manganiello, who was recently on an interview with Wired. And, and, and I thought this was really interesting. Joe was live answering questions from Twitter. Uh, he was asked about different homebrew races. He was asked about, you know, just playing the game in general. But one of the things that really struck me was when asked about homebrew races, Joe made mention of some of the ideas he used in his campaign. And while dis- discussing some abominations that he used in his game, that sits between Dragon and Draconian. Mignola casually mentioned that he has the 5th edition Draconian stats, then looked at the camera and whispered, don't tell anyone. Now, anybody who knows anything about D&D, or I should say long-term players, um, some of your new ones probably don't recognize the name Draconian because it is older and it hasn't been introduced in 5th edition, or for a while for that matter, should recognize this immediately as the Dragon Soldiers of Dragonlance. Nolan, do you think possibly that Joe is spoiling something here? I think we've hit on it a couple times when we saw the lawsuits coming out. uh, There was talks of a final book and how that all kind of collapsed. And basically, Wizard said, we're going a different direction. And I think that was them gobbling up the rights to put something out. Uh, You know, we've... uh, I think we're going to talk on it next, but I wonder if the, the the next topic maybe plays in that world. I think you're right. And since you uh, went ahead and threw out the segue, we will we'll just go ahead into it. Uh, I do think Joe's mention of Draconians does indeed have something to do with what I recently learned about. And that is you mentioned the lawsuit. Well, this is a lawsuit that was filed by Margaret Rice, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, who are the creators of the world of Dragonlands. Uh, they wrote the three books, the, um, now I can't even think of them, uh, but the Chronicles, I think is what it was, the Chronicles trilogy, uh, and that was the definition of Dragonlance. I mean, that's where you got Sturm Brightblade and Tannis Halfelden and, and Tasselhot Burfoot. Um, they were in a lawsuit with Wizards of the Coast. Now, it has recently been announced that this lawsuit has been dismissed without prejudice. It's important to remember that by saying without prejudice, this means that this lawsuit can be brought back. When it's dismissed with prejudice, it means you cannot bring it back again. So they're pulling the lawsuit for now. They can bring it back if they desire. Weiss posted on Twitter that the lawsuit has been dismissed and to be watching for for an exciting announcement in the coming weeks. That, paired with what Joe Manganiello says, leads me to believe that Dragonlance is going to be the next, at least one of the three next settings that we are going to see for 5th edition D&D. What do you think? My thoughts are, anytime we can look at the past and bring in nostalgia, I think you instantly get people on board. And I think we're seeing that with 
uh, Star Wars as it goes nuts right now. Uh, I think we see that with, you know, all the remakes. Uh, it, it just seems to be, uh, it is the way, right? To, <laughs> hey, we know you love this when you were a kid. Well and now you're old enough to have kids of your own. Let's see if we can get them to fall in love with it as well. I mean, you, you tell me you're not going to go see a Dragonlance movie. And you're not going to take your kids or, you know what I mean? Like, you know, yes. you know what I mean? Like, that's just one of those things of, for a lot of people, it is what started it. Uh, you know, it is the Lord of the Rings. It is the, it was their first introduction into this kind of thing. So you, you slap it on there and people will go to it. Now, same thing with cyberpunk, same thing with Star Wars. There are going to be expectations. You don't cast it right. You do it for money. You, uh, do you, there's huge opportunity for letdown because those things mean so much to so many different people. Uh, I I read Lord of the Rings and I, I love Aragorn. You read Lord of the Rings and you love Gimli. And if they don't have equal time on screen, then you feel like, well, why didn't they like my favorite character? And you're like, well, that's not necessarily what it was about. Well, that's to you, you know? And so I, I think that's the, uh, you don't get enough. You don't portray them the right way. CGI on a, a tassel hoof. Or you know, I mean, like, if it's bad, if it's Jar Jar levels of bad, people are going to revolt because that is a lovable character for a lot of people, and also open to interpretation in your mind of what a Kinder is, looks like, acts like, sounds like. You know, I mean, it's like you better bring in Andy Circus to do it right. Well, I I definitely would like to see Dragonlands come into the fifth edition world. I love Absolutely. the world of Kryn. I think it's fantastic. I know that there's some issues. Uh, Dragonlands was one of the few, or I shouldn't say one of the few, but it was one of the D&D settings that had some major racism issues. So I hope stuff like that. And I do think with, with the way Wizards of the Coast is handling this with diversity, I do think that would be handled with care and removed from the game. And, and that is my sincere hope. Uh, I, I like... Like I said, I like Kryn. Dragonlance is what brought me into, you know, understanding the realms of D&D. And so I'm I'm really excited. I hope that is what is coming. Now, you mentioned Andy Serkis. You mentioned Lord of the Rings. You mentioned movies. And that brings us to our next point, which is there is some news about the D&D live action movie that is scheduled for release in 2022. And that is Chris Pine has been signed on to play in the live action movie. Uh it was funny because when you and I first read about this, we were both like, huh, well, that's interesting. And we both started going, well, I guess Chris Pine's okay. And I said, I said, well, yeah, I really liked him as Captain Kirk in Star Trek. And then you were like, well, he was good in Wonder Woman. And then it was, he was good in this. He was good in this. He was good in this. He was good. And suddenly we realized that there was a lot more Chris Pine movies that we enjoyed him being in than there wasn't. And so I think it's kind of interesting um, that we both thought that and, I don't know. I think I'm excited to see him in it. It's he's got a broad range. And I think that's the the cool thing about it. Like you said, it in Captain Kirk, it's he was he was fantastic. He played that role perfectly. It was that uh, you know, then I think of Into the Woods and that role. And now it's like, okay. I think those are kind of the lasting images I have. So it's like, okay, is he going to be like a sarcastic bard or, cause when I think, you know, high fantasy, I, I think that, you know, I'm imagining Viggo Mortensen carrying, you know what I mean? Like I don't see him cracking, you know? So it's like, okay, what again, D and D means everything to everybody differently. So 
what is it going to be? Is it going to be El Dorado where it's a bard and a rogue going on an adventure? Is it going to be Lord of the Rings and super serious and the fate of the world? Uh, I, I think when I thought of Chris Pine, I, I just saw Into the Woods as a bard and I was just like, oh my God, it's going to be like a slapstick comedy or something. And I got, I just got panicky. You know, I was just like, he's going to be a sarcastic bard, butthead, you know, and it's like, uh, it, are they going to kid it up or, you know, I don't know. I just had anxiety and it's like, well, I like that stuff. I guess it's, you know, D and D's for everyone. So. Well, I, I think it'd be pretty hilarious to see him play a Prince type character from Into the Woods in D and D. I, I mean, I, I... <laughs> Even if it was a serious movie and you had this one spastic character that, I mean, it's almost like a Jar Jar character, but, but done correctly. So, I mean, he, I he know. does the snark and the sarcasm well, and I could, I could see him oh, very, very well. much being a rogue or, you know what I mean? Like the, the quick witted and, and stuff like that. So I, I don't know. I don't know why I thought like, well, they're making a D and D movie and they got Chris Pine. All of a sudden I was trying to imagine him in you know, the King Arthur armor or whatever, you know, like I, I instantly went to like, well, he's probably a fighter or, a, you know, something like that. And I was like, I don't, that's maybe where I was struggling with it. It's like, well, I don't know why the lead needs to be some hack and slash brute. You know, I mean, there's so many opportunities. Sure. So I will, I will shut up and just get excited that, uh, again, hopefully they treat it with respect and yes, love and compassion that it deserves to be handled with. So. Well, the movie is scheduled for release in 2022 with Jonathan with Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, who are the writers of Spider-Man Homecoming, still slated to direct based on the rewrite of Michael Gilio's script. So I do think we're seeing some good people. I mean, Spider-Man Spider Homecoming was great. So we're seeing some people who have produced some good films being a part of this. So my hope is, is that we are going to see a very well done, well-respected movie. But we'll see. Speaking of well done and well-respected, have you seen the stuff coming out of Critical Role? There, you know, there I get I get to see their shop stuff popping up more and more. And, you know, the T-shirts and stuff, I feel like a lot of them are just like, you know, inside stuff and you got to be a part of it. Uh, and then you showed me some action figures and I am very excited yeah. for what they're doing. So Critical Role has partnered with Sideshow Collectibles to bring fans some pretty awesome products. First, there's this fantastic looking fine art print of the Mighty Nine, as uh, which you can buy as in frame or unframed option. Well, I'll get to that in a second, um, as well as statues of both Bo uh, and Ford, which, of course, is Marisha and Travis's characters. We, you and I both took a look at these. Uh, we've looked at other products from Sideshow Collectibles. In fact, I, um, we we're looking at uh, an Anakin statue from the, over the weekend. They do some great work. Uh, it's a lot of PVC mixing with the with the statues, but they they do tend to carry a little bit higher price tag. I think the Anakin statue we looked at was like one hundred and forty dollars or something like that. Yeah, it's just looking through their site. I mean, it's it is. It, it, some of them are pretty frightening and ex expensive. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and it's, I, I got to imagine they do a great job. And I mentioned to you, like I have, in fact, you may, I don't know what I can see in my camera angle here. Yeah, if you see the Curse of Strahd box there sitting right in front of that is my PVC statue of Batman. And this thing is so well done. I don't know if it was done by Sideshow Collectibles or not, but it was just so well done. Um, and I don't remember what I paid for. It wasn't, I don't think it was over $60. And I, I, I genuinely like it. I think it's a great statue. So I'm excited to see what they come out with now. I don't know that I'm going to jump out and buy one. I enjoy Critical Role. I just don't have the time to invest into watching it uh, religiously like some folks do. Uh, I think what they do is fantastic. I'm looking forward to the animated series. I don't know that I would buy these, 
but I, I kind of want to see someone who does so I can actually get hands on one. Same boat. I, I think the characters are, uh, amazing. Uh, and I'm not familiar with the new season, uh, the way they look and stuff like that. It made me look at me like, yeah, I, I'd rock that. That's pretty cool. I, I enjoy it. Uh, and then as they go in, you know, I could see, uh, them doing some season one stuff, you know, as well, just cause I think, you know, I'm, I'm probably more familiar with that there and having a grog, uh, you know, berserker rage style, uh, statue would be pretty sweet, but it, it looks great. I mean, and I'm excited it to does. see the other ones coming out and, and good for them. I mean, that's the, that's the biggest thing there is they genuinely, uh, seeing some of the Instagram posts of Travis freaking out at, at, of holding his statue and just like, you know, like, how did we get here? You know, that's, that's exciting to see. That's, I think the, the happiness of others, I think lately has been a lot of fun to witness. Uh, but mostly I've been watching people reacting to the Mandalorian crying. So that's just me. Yes. Uh, so the pre-orders of the print went live this past Thursday with a framed and unframed option, like I stated. Uh, the pre-orders for the statues will go live on January 14th. Uh, I do have a link in the show notes if you want to check that out. Speaking of the Mandalorian, now I, I we got to be careful here because I know a lot of people haven't seen it. But without, I mean, let's just be vague as hell. Um, did, have you made it all the way through season two? No. Yet? but you know what happens yeah. and you and I have watched some reaction videos. And again, we're going to be super vague here. What are your thoughts? A lot, a lot, a lot of pent up, uh, happy people. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the thing of the, I gosh, it, it's so hard to be vague and, and not lose your shit, but it's well worth it. it They've is. done a nice job with the casting, uh, bringing uh people from all the different uh stories you know that there's some people from rebels people from uh clone wars uh bringing back people from the original trilogy uh you know that kind of stuff and, and seeing those things it we've had that conversation of that's what that's what we want to see i want to see the new world stories uh and i'm also happy to fill in those gaps of what some of the classic characters were up to of uh, you know out and about you know i know they're talking about doing a high republic uh saga coming up and it's 200 years before the original trilogy it's like first thing that went to my mind was like i'd like to see a somewhat in their prime yoda do something you know we we knock off a few hundred years and see what he's capable of because he was pretty impressive at 900 so those little things of like it gets you excited it's like i don't necessarily need it to be about young yoda don't get me wrong i would sign up to watch that series of a 300 year old yoda uh just being a badass but even if he just walks by and says something you know snarky as shit and be like oh, dry harder you must you know and, and i'm just like oh i'll lose my mind and it'll be the best season ever so i want to see that kind of stuff i'm looking forward to it uh and the original stories have been great but yeah yeah big wow and I haven't even started season two. Uh, unfortunately, it's hard to avoid spoilers and, and we're doing our best here. But um, I think what they're what they've done. And, and of course, I've, I know what's going to happen. I'm afraid of what my reaction is going to be. Like, I think back to when because I think you and I and, and a few other friends all went and watched The Force Awakens together. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we all went. I think it was opening night. We all went and watched it. And I remember sitting in the theater thinking, you know, being very happy that it was dark because as soon as that, that cover came off the millennium Falcon, feeling my heart just jump up into my throat and be like, Oh shit, 
oh shit, there it is. And then even when that that bay door opened and you saw Chewbacca and Han Solo for the first time, and and same thing, you know, it immediately takes this. What what I was like forty, probably forty when that came out, immediately takes me back to you know thinking about in you know like was it 1977 or 78 when my parents took my brother and i to see we thought cinderella and it turned out it was empire strikes back we were already fans of star wars because we'd seen the original movie and just being so excited at two and three years old i remember this i remember the excitement of as soon as because we all thought it was cinderella as soon as the star wars music hit and just that overwhelming excitement and I don't know. I might have to watch Mandalorian alone. I and I think that's the thing of you know when we talk about that stuff, uh, those little things. It didn't need to be about them. It was nice to see them. It was nice to be taken back to being a you know six year old kid uh, or you know whenever the first time you watched it. And so that those are those are the feelings I'm hoping for for Dragonlance. Those are the you know anytime you're remaking, those are the things. Be be kind, be respectful. I, I thought J.J. Abrams did a fantastic job with the Star Trek uh, reboot. I thought it hit on those notes. Uh, I, re- I, not being the biggest Star Trek fan, remember going to it um, and people, similar idea, like, uh, you know, uh, Spock showing up and people clapping and getting emotional and, and, and the way they did it and they they handled it and told the story and then just listening to them like, you know, clap at the end and, and, and they got their seal of approval. And I was like, that's that's all I've ever wanted. I, that's what I want with these things. They are special to people. Deep dive, do your lore and uh, treat it with respect. I like you know, You mentioned J.J. Abrams, and, and I think that's why we were so disappointed with Star Wars, because we saw what he did with Star Trek. And as a pretty hardcore Star Trek fan, I remember watching the first one and understanding immediately that, OK, because of the actions that are happening here, we're actually in an alternate plane of existence, so to speak. And Spock has created or is actually a new timeline is what it was. Um, and just understanding that knowing that right away but seeing so many similarities to what you want from Star Trek, seeing the Enterprise and seeing everything, you know, a modern yet older looking bridge instead of seeing like the next generation bridge. Uh, there was just so many things that hit me so well as I was watching the original Star Trek. And like you said, when Spock came on the screen, it's one of those, I, I guarantee you I had the biggest smile on my face. So I'm super excited to see what's going to happen in the future for Star Wars. We were, you and I were talking about this yesterday at work. Uh, super excited to see what's going to happen. Um, there's so many things that they can do. And I love that they're taking the Marvel aspect or the Marvel, the way they've done Marvel and throwing that into Star Wars. Cause it's just going to open up the whole, whole universe to storytelling. So I'm really excited to hear, see that. But before we go any further though, I do want to mention this past Thursday, there was some sad news coming out of Star Trek, Star Wars. And that is the original Boba Fett actor, Jeremy Bullock passed away at 75 years old. And I think it's, interesting that the very next day we had the amazing Mandalorian issue and you know it, so my condolences to Jeremy Bullock's family and you know the Star Wars universe as a whole is much sadder because of it oh man <laughs> lots of stuff there uh so I did do some looking around for other news pretty quiet as as you might expect um I know Dead Man's Rest is coming to a close that is fully funded they're still knocking down some stretch goals if you're interested in the Scarlands, absolutely go and check that out uh, I, say, before... I, I did get my backer update there uh it sounded like they got to the next tier uh 22,000 so the Gazetteer Jindalian uh 
a supplement PDF focused on the underground city of Dierdrindal, providing hooks and guidance on how to incorporate into Dead Man's Rest Mega Adventure. So uh, yep. that's kind of neat. That's their version of the Underdark. So, right. So yeah, some great stuff coming out of there. Uh, if you it's still time to jump on that, and of course, as always with an Onyx Path Kickstarter, even after it closes, you can still jump in and by going through Backer Kit and and purchasing it that way. So there are multiple avenues to do that if you needed to wait till after Christmas, so to speak. Um, well, so that's that. I didn't see anything really big from Modifius. I saw something about some new statues being released for Skyrim, um, character sheets for Dune, uh, nothing really from some of the other folks that we've been paying attention to, like um, Chaosium. I didn't see anything really new for Call of Cthulhu. So, so not a whole lot new. I think, gosh, all the news from Dungeons and Dragons and everything that's going on there really kind of dominated the news for me anyway, and, and of course Star Wars for this week. But we do have a topic of the week. So earlier this week, fans of, of the RPG Vampire the Masquerade were able to download a free PDF of the new Vampire the Masquerade companion for V5. This companion brought the clans Ravnos, Salubri, and Samisi into the world of V5, as well as how their disciplines work, new merits for coteries, rules for playing ghouls and humans, and rules errata for V5. Uh, we thought we could talk briefly about this book, uh, let you know uh, what we think of it, give you our thoughts. And if you missed the announcement or just was unaware that this was available, you can still download that. I do have the link in the show notes. Nolan, did you get a chance to look this over at all? I did a little bit, yeah. It's nice to see some of those things come back. There is a part that I uh, really enjoy, but... It, it's nice that it wasn't super big, uh, what, 61 pages with everything involved-ish. Yeah, it sounds about right. So, like I said, it does bring two or the three clans, the Ravnos, the Salubri, and the Samisi. And I thought it was interesting that they chose to include the Samisi in this, or not the Samisi, but the Salubri in this, because you know, they're typically a pretty small clan. But as I read through it, I was like, oh, I kind of like that. Um, overall, just overall thoughts on this book. Number one. I'm sad it's not an actual book. I'm sad it's just a PDF. I hope maybe one day that we do see a POD option because I would absolutely buy this book just to have it in my V5 collection. I've I've done pretty well about making sure I get every V5 book. Uh, case in point, uh, Let the Streets Run Red just came out, or the POD version came out recently from Onyx Path, and I immediately was able to get that. Uh, so I, I do hope that, that we do see a physical option for this book. Um, overall thoughts? This is a really good supplement. At 65 pages, it's not so big that you can't um, read it in one setting. And it's not so small that you feel like you're getting nothing. Um, again, you have three clans, you have disciplines, you have uh, coterie and clan merits. So, so some really neat stuff that came along with this book. The other thing that I like about this is this is the first book that is away from Modifius. This was strictly done by Paradox. Um, it was written by, just going to pull that up real quick. Uh, let's see here. It was written by Justin Achille, which if you know Vampire the Masquerade, you should know that name because Justin has been a part of Vampire for a very long time. He was gone for a little bit and now he is back. And I'm super excited to see him back because this is a brand that he loves, uh, something he's been a part of of like i said you know 20 plus years so it's nice to see him back because if anybody can like jj abrams we talked about that if anybody can take this ip and handle it with care i do feel like justin's one of those people who can do that so we have justin achille allison saiba siba 
uh, Erica Fassett and Kareem Umar. Uh, editing was done by Stephanie Cohen. Art directing was done by Thomas Erfurt. Cover art by Mark Kelly. And then it goes on with other artists inside. Um, well, you know what? I'm just going to mention those guys too. Interior art and illustration by Thomas Erfurt, Peter uh, Bertig, Christoph B. Mm-hmm. Beanick House. Be- yeah, I, I'm sorry, Christoph. I don't want to butcher your name. Uh, Mark Kelly, Martina Zeik, um, and I'm probably screwing up a lot of people's names here, so I'm sorry if I do that. Um, so, again, handled well. The other thing that I like is every Modifius book that I purchased. Now, this isn't, well, I don't want to bash Modifius because I think they've done a great job with the games that they have. But when it came to Vampire the Masquerade, I don't know what the deal was if they just, I don't know why it was handled so poorly. As we've talked about on this show before, when it came to the fall of London, it was possibly one of the most poorly edited pieces of, of uh, RPG literature that I've ever seen. I was so disgruntled by it to the point that I wrote Modifius a letter. Never heard anything, but I did write to them. Uh, going back to V5 had tons of, or the, the original um, core rulebook had tons of mistakes in it. Uh, the botch up with uh, the Camarilla and the Anarch books, and, and again, still tons and tons of editing mistakes. So I was apprehensive when it came to this book because outside of onyx path who seems to do a fantastic job with editing and and taking care of their stuff my um what's the word i'm looking for my interaction with v5 has not been good when it comes to comes to this stuff this was done very fucking well i don't know that i've seen a single spelling mistake i don't know that i've seen a single typo this was done well it's from the editing to the uh layout to the art choices, I read. I, I want a hard copy of this book. The biggest thing I took away from it was the art, uh, just the creepiness of everything that you expect from being able to morph your body uh, was was in there. Uh, and again, like you said, you know, it's one of those. I can't believe it's only a PDF because it's that well. It it, it does fit as a good book. Uh, and handled that way as well. Like you said, the editing, the layout, it looks like something that somebody put out to be mass produced as a hardback because it's, it's that level of quality for sure. And it looks like somebody put this out with care. They genuinely cared about this product. They wanted it to be done well. And now keep in mind, this isn't to say that it isn't without its flaws. Um, at least according to some people, I have seen reactions on the internet that are absolutely brutal. I've seen people just attack it. They're very upset with how the disciplines are being handled, with how the clans are being changed. Um, you know, here, here's my thought on, on stuff like that. I get it. You, you, maybe you're not happy with how V5 works. There's things about V5 that I'm not particularly fond of. I've struggled with being able to play it, I guess, correctly. Uh, you and I've had this conversation. There's things that I just don't like, but then there's things that I do like. Here's my thoughts on, you don't like this book? Well, don't fucking get it. You know, okay, you read stuff that, all right, fine. You don't like how the Ravnos were handled. Fine. You read it, put it away. Don't don't look at it again. Go play V20 or, or second edition Vampire if that makes you happier. Go, you don't have to have this book. So stop being an asshole about it. If only. <laughs> I know. So let's let's talk a little bit. That's sorry, I'm off my soapbox. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the clans. Um, so obviously, you know, Ravnos, Salubri, and Simisi. Um, 
I'm thrilled that Ravenous are back. Uh, they've changed the clan symbol. It's not the the cross of what I'm used to of seeing for Ravnos. It is this kind of a a weird, a strange sun looking thing. I like it. I, I don't think it's bad. It, <laughs> I look at it and I think, oh, that'd be a neat tattoo. Not that I want to go and get a bunch of V five tattoos all over my body, but I do think it's a cool looking um, symbol. <sighs> they have done well with taking the Ravnos, and I, in my opinion, and, and maybe. They removed the the gypsy uh, stereotype from the Ravnos, and they really broadened it. I mean, I, even like you, you talk about the artwork, um, you, you see people of different races being represented for the Ravnos, which is great because the Ravnos are very diverse in and of themselves. So I thought that was really well done. Um, I like the aspects of, uh, what was it, the clan... Um, Sorry, I'm trying to scroll through this here. The clan Bane. I thought this was really neat. The Ravnos are, I'm just reading from the book here. The Ravnos are doomed. The sun's fire that incinerated their founder uh, rages through the blood of the clan, erupting from their very flesh if they ever settle down for too long. So this means that if you stay in one spot as a Ravnos for a week, you begin to burn from the inside. <laughs> Uh, which is brutal. Uh, they receive aggravated damage equal to the number of tens critical results rolled as they are scorched from within uh, if they stay in the same place for seven nights. So this is their bane severity, and they have to, and it's based on their bane severity, sorry. So they have to be moving constantly. So if you're playing in a game and you're based in Chicago, every seven days, you have to move. You have to let your storyteller know, hey, you know, I need to move my character. We're going here. And living in a moving truck doesn't work. You have to, like, if you spent the night here, within seven days, you have to be at least a mile away from that spot that you were at. So <laughs> really interesting. I thought that was neat. And it definitely pulls to the nomad aspect of the Ravnos. So I, I thought that was really cool. The other thing I really liked, like it used to be the compulsion of the Ravnos was they were kleptomaniacs. They were always stealing things. And, and again, it just played into that stereotype, a very negative stereotype. So now they've changed it to tempting fate. So the vampire is driven by their blood to court danger. <laughs> I had to laugh at this because it just, I almost thought like what I, I thought of your character, JJ, that you played in our Chicago game. I, I could see JJ doing something like this just because it's like, oh, that looks fun. Let's do this. <laughs> um, right. So it's, it was uh, haunted as they are for, by the righteous fire burning its way up their lineage. Why not? The next time the vampire is faced with a problem to solve, any attempt at a solution short of the most daring or dangerous incurs a two-dice penalty. So it's like, well, I need to get through that door. How can I do it? Let's figure out the most deadly way to do this. So you do a backflip and parkour through the window next to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Instead of just opening the door and walking through. Um, so yeah, the Daredevil is free to convince any fellows to do things their way, but it's just as likely to go uh, to go at it alone. The compulsion persists until the problem is solved or further attempts become impossible. I thought that was really neat. So I, I think it's neat that they take the Ravnos, they, they've taken, I think, the things that I really liked about them and brought those back up to the game uh, and, and remove some of the negative aspects of it, which is fantastic. Now, I was a little confused when it came to their discipline, but the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. So Shimmer has always been the Ravnus discipline, and it's always been its own thing. Now, Shimmer is a part of Obfuscate. Now, they did this with um, 
obtenebration. They did this with uh, Mortis, some of the, what we call the Hecata now, some of their disciplines, and pulled that all into one, into Oblivion. Um, so now we have Shimmerstry being pulled into Obfuscate, which makes sense. Obfuscate is, you know, the master of disguises. They're still creating illusions. They're still doing things. They're not able to weaponize the illusions like they were able to before, but they're still able to do it. And the other thing to keep in mind is that Shimmerstry is an amalgamation with Obfuscate. I think it's Obfuscate in Aspects or Presence. I can't remember which. Um so that's something to keep in mind. So yeah, the Ravnos, they do go into a couple of character archetypes that you can use. Again, uh, the artwork is great. I love the artwork for the Operative for Hire. That guy scares me. Um, so neat, neat stuff. I did like, uh, was it the Antiquarian? Really reminded me of Beckett. Yep. Yeah, I got that feeling as well. So well done with the Ravnos. Um, Salubri, you know, so Salubri was always kind of this, of course, we, we've talked about the Tremere. You can't talk about the Salubri without talking about the Tremere because this is how the Tremere became vampires this is by Tremere Diablerizing Solid. Um, Salubri are supposed to be few and far between, and they even mention it in the companion that supposedly only seven exist in the world. If you don't know the Salubri, this is the Cyclops of the vampire world, the three-eye Cyclops, if you will. They... They've always been healers, and Obey, if I think I'm saying that correctly, Obey, Obia, um, was their discipline, and this was the healing discipline, and if I remember correctly, I forget how they did this, I think it's with Aspects or Dominate, um, let me double check that. Of course, my computer... Looks like they did it on Fortitude. Is it on? A clan so despised needs every advantage it can to survive in the modern nights. And the Salubri have also learned to will forth their own hardiness as a boon to others' well-being. Okay, so it is aspects and fortitude. You're, you're right. It's that amalgamation. So to get obey, you have to have level two aspects and level one fortitude. And again, you still have that healing aspect of it. And in fact, it even goes into dominate, um, which you have to have the prerequisite of obey to use because uh, at level five, unburdening the beastial soul is dominate three with aspects five. Uh, with the prerequisite of having obey, uh, which is great. Uh, again, some really interesting things, and I didn't want to jump, jump super quickly into the disciplines, but they're there, and I think it's important that we do talk about how all of these disciplines, from vicissitude to obey to chemistry, are amalgams of other disciplines. So, um, yeah, aspects and dominate are the ones you're going to be wanting if you're going to be playing a salubri. Let me jump back up here to the clan themselves here. Of course, they, they did stick with the whole, uh, the Salubri are, are typically not trusted if they show up. They tend to hide the fact that they are what they are. And that is because the Tremere have rendered a, slear, a, a smear campaign on the Salubri for centuries. And it, it just continues to go on. So their bane is hunted. Kindred of other clans are especially appreciative of Salubri Vitae. Uh, when a non-salubri partakes of the blood of a cyclops, they often find it difficult to pull themselves away. Consuming enough to abate at least one hunger level requires a hunger frenzy test. 
uh, at a difficulty of two plus a salubrious bane severity. Difficulty three plus a salubrious bane severity for any Banu Hakim. If the test fails, they keep consuming uh, to the point that they may have to be physically fought off or they destroy the vampire. Additionally, the third eye that Solid opened while on one of his many journeys passes down through the bloodline every time a Salubri embraces. This third eye is not always recognizable in human origin, which I think is really cool. Uh, rumor persists of vertical serpentine pupils or even worm-like eye spots. While this third eye can be physically covered, such as with a headscarf or a hood, it is always present. No supernatural power can obscure it. Anytime a salubri activates disciplines or pow or discipline power, the third eye bleeds, weeps tears of blood. It is intense, or its intensity correlates to the level of the discipline being used, from welling up to a torrential flow. Creepy as fuck. <laughs> the blood flow from the third eye triggers a hunger frenzy test from nearby vampires with hunger four or more. That's a pretty serious main severity. Yeah. And I dig it. <laughs> uh, their compulsion is effective empathy. When a salubri suffers a compulsion, the kindred becomes overwhelmed with empathy for a personal problem that afflicts someone in the scene, seeking further to further its resolution. The scale of the personal problem isn't important. The salubri understands that sometimes suffering is part of a cumulative situation and not an isolated stimulus. Any action not taken toward mitigating that personal strategy personal tragedy incurs a two dice penalty the compulsion presents suffers burden is eased or immediate crisis supersedes it or until the end of the scene you could be completely overwhelmed by this and it's like it's like the toreador being completely you know overwhelmed by art it, it could be something as simple as you know the coterie is moving down the street the salubri sees something i don't know somebody weeping in the corner and is so drawn to it that they have to figure out how to stop this person from feeling so poorly and could completely take over, I won't say take over a story, but at least dominate a scene for several minutes. And I thought that was really neat. Um, they didn't change a whole lot of the history of the Salubri, nor did they do that with the Ravnos, and I, I appreciate that. Um, they do continue to talk about how the Salubri are seeking the, you know, the proverbial Golconda, and that typically they do not embrace another one until they are reaching Golconda. Uh, and again, it's one of those where immediately they get the third eye and so on and so forth. Disciplines for the salubri uh, are aspects dominate in fortitude with the amalgams between those three disciplines being your obey at level two aspects. Uh, I like it. I, I've always liked the salubri. I've always been timid about playing one just because there is so few of them in the world. And it seems like you play one and it's like a target on your back. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about the creepy fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> I I cannot think about the Samisi without immediately thinking about the original clan book and that being the first Vampire of the Masquerade book that I had to buy, be 18 or older to buy. I was, wasn't a problem. And it's still one of those where I, every time I see it, I just go, whoop, yep, that's the Samisi clan book. Put that away. <laughs> so a couple things with Samisi that I did enjoy is it does feel like they've taken the old Samisi with the new Samisi and blended it together to give us what we have now. Um, they are still very much into flesh crafting, uh, but you don't see the almost corruptness that you saw in the new Samisi from before. There was a big difference like uh, Vlad Sepish's old Samisi versus some of the newer ones. Um, oh, I can't even think of the name now. Um, Sasha Vikos. 
uh, would be a new Samisi, uh, to, and when it comes to vampire, the, the masquerade lore, Asasha being, uh, Beckett's arch rival, so to speak. Um, so yeah, so I thought the Samisi were very well done. I do like that they've, you know, again, taken these, these disciplines and made amalgams out of them. You have to have animalism. You have to have protein. You have to have dominate to use vicissitude. Uh, so you make sure you keep that in mind. Um, they did pull the the bane. I thought this was interesting how they did this because it used to be Samisi had to sleep in their own earth, meaning even if they were like from, say, you're Dracula, you're from the Carpathians, wherever he traveled, he had to take some of his dirt with him. So when he slept at night, he could sleep with that dirt. It, it didn't have to be a lot, but he always had to have it. And if he didn't have it, there was problems. Um, and this goes for all Samisis. So the Samisi are grounded. Each Samisi must choose a specific charge, a physical domain, a group of people, an organization, or even something more esoteric. But clearly defined and limited, the kindred must spend their day sleep surrounded by their chosen charge. Historically, this has often meant slumbering, like I said, in the soil of their land. But it can also be, mean being surrounded by that which they tonight rule a certain kind of people a building deeply tied to their obsession a local counterculture faction or other more outlandish elements if they do not they sustain aggravated willpower damage equal to their bane severity excuse me upon waking the following night so it makes it very difficult for you to be a traveling player when you're a Samisi, which is why I think you see a lot of the older Samisi create domains that they just kind of dominate and rule over so I like that they've changed that. They didn't just have to be Earth. It could be like, all right, well, I'm a part of this counterculture. I must sleep around this counterculture at all times. I thought that was an interesting, more modern twist on that severity. Uh, the compulsion is covetousness, which really goes with the, the bane severity. Um, when a Samisi suffers a compulsion, the kindred becomes obsessed with possessing something in the scene, desiring to add it to their proverbial hoard. This can be anything from an object to a piece of property to an actual person. Any action not taken towards the purpose incurs a two-dice penalty. The compulsion persists until ownership is established. Storyteller decides what, con what constitutes ownership. Uh, or the object of desire becomes unattainable. Very much like that, that Toreador completely overwhelmed or even the salubri completely overwhelmed they see something it's like that raven sees the shiny thing and has to have it um so i i thought that was interesting as well and of course there's more archetypes as well they go into various different types of uh of simisi that you can have there's some horrendous artwork of vicissitude in play so i thought those were again like you said just well done there's artwork in here that makes you go oh crap that's kind of creepy which is appropriate for vampire the masquerade um and it's yeah whew, there's some rough vicissitude stuff going on here <laughs> yeah so when it comes to the discipline powers we've kind of talked about it a little bit these go into the disciplines um of those clans and it gives you the amalgams that you need to have shimmery to have obey to have vicissitude those are all listed in the book uh under aspects dominate fortitude presence potence animalism obfuscate so on and so forth a couple things that i saw that i really enjoyed uh one one thing in particular uh, which is um oh gosh what was it one with the land which 
I know that you could earth melt, which was a protein discipline or part of protein before, and it still is, but this is part of vicissitude. You have to have the amalgam is animalism too. Uh, I really enjoyed this. And this is obviously the Samisi here in that this is the Samisi is able to go into the earth and within a mile around him, him or her, they can hear, they can, they can feel and hear things. And I thought this was really interesting. So I'm just jumping ahead here. It says, additionally, in a distance of one mile in any direction from where the vampire's body has become one with the land, the vampire may elect to experience any sensory stimuli within that area, such as listening to a conversation therein, physically enjoying a lover's tryst, or catching the scent of fire that an unruly mob might be stoking. The vampire experiences these senses through the presence of animals, however minute, in the vicinity of the event. If the events are discreet or intentionally hidden, a wits plus animalism test versus the relevant, uh, relevant opposing dice pool is required. So it makes it so where even at, you know when the when the Samisi is sleeping, you know maybe it's okay. I just want to keep my sense of smell active, you know, through the animals in the area and be able to detect if, you know somebody's coming in with fire or something like that to protect themselves. I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, it's a level five, but I thought that was really neat. I like the uh, ability that I like what they're doing. I like having less powers, but the combinations mean something to the clan. I know a lot of people get used to having that kind of stuff, but I do like that. It's everybody's still kind of a base vampire, but you work towards something. So. Yep. And I wasn't sure how I felt about that with oblivion. Because it seems strange to me that you could have a Hikata have up to abrasion, but it's not necessarily done that way. So, and I enjoy this. I, it's it's kind of like dialects. Uh, you know, you look at it, and you're like, oh, the base of this is dwarven, and I can kind of understand it. So, uh, you know, now it's it feels like dwarven, but it's actually gnomish. So then you kind of see based in it has tradition to it somebody took obfuscate uh took it a little bit darker or took a left turn with it and turned it into something else but the home is still the same base it's illusion or it's darkness or whatever's next right so the next chapter in the book is well the next part in the book is the clans and coteries and this really does focus on coteries and and i'm not going to go super deep into this because well, frankly, we try to stick to an hour and we're already pushing past that. So <clears throat> we'll just talk quickly about some of these. Neat, I like it. Each clan has a clan merit that they can add to their, or, sorry, a coterie merit that they can add. Um, simple things like there was one in particular that I really liked, uh, the Bruja. Let's talk about them because I thought theirs was fun. Uh, sometimes the best way out of a bad situation is to try again, harder and have a frenzy-prone coterie mate impress upon you the error of your ways. Once per session, the, the Bruja inspires a flagging coterie member who may then re-roll a regular dice on a failed physical skills test. It's called Boot Rally. And it's a one-dot clan coterie merit. <laughs> I thought that was fun. I liked it. I think it's it, all... I think all of them are really neat. Like, I, I love that idea. It is, uh, for the 5e kind of community, it is like an inspiration or an advantage on a roll or something, but having the, the role play value of it... Um, you know, you were telling me about like the La Sombra and their ability to yes. uh, basically <laughs> scold somebody into doing it properly through, you know, harshness and disappointment and do it again, but better or else type mentality. And I think there's those opportunities to, you know, now you get to be an asshole and just be your character, but it also benefits your team because before I was just kind of an asshole La Sombra. So. 
Yeah, yeah, and that cl- uh, that's actually the next merit I was going to talk about, and it's called At Any Cost. The Magister sets a ruthlessly effective example for their coterie mates. Once per session, a member of the Lissombre's coterie can choose to add two successes to a test made. The test is then considered a messy critical, including appropriate negative consequences. So it really is that do it now, do it better, don't matter how you, doesn't matter how you do it, just do it and get it done. And 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 yeah, you do it and it's going to be messy and whew. I mean, it's Lissombra, right? Right. Yeah. I, I, you could see the person like so-and-so is like trying to get the door open or whatever. And Lissombra just kind of creeps up behind him and just tells him, get it fucking done now. And all of a sudden it's like, just rips the door handle off the hinge and pushes the door. And it's, it's open. You know, it's like, fuck i said quietly the first time and then walks through the door right. and you're like god damn it like i'm just trying to make you happy are you never happy <laughs> exactly um other and, and i there was a lot of these that i really enjoyed and so i'm, I'm trying to touch on these quickly the one that i thought and, I, and i'm gonna read this whole thing because wow this one was really cool and that's the malkavians and i'm not a much i'm not much of a malkavian player but I really like this one. So it's called Everything is Connected, which really goes to the Malkavian network. Um, This is a three-dot clan coterie merit. The Malkavian is able to extract secrets from the most unlikely sources, such as discerning the location of an elder's vault from someone's casual exchange about the weather or unearthing an adversary's deepest fears from the way they take a right turn at an intersection. Uh, Once per session, the Malkavian has the ability to let another member of their coterie substitute one skill pool for another of their choice that they possess in a test involving gathering of information. The Oracle is then able to interpret the results, gaining the same information as the original poll would have yielded, depending on the margin of success as usual. So it's just, it gives them that ability to be like, oh, oh, so you say you went to the bathroom today. Hey guys, his haven is over here. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it just adds to the mysteriousness of the Malkavians. And I thought, man, that is so on point, so well done for the Malkavian. Uh, the Ministry is another one where I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And this is one of those where you need something. You go to the, this member of your coterie that happens to be part of the Ministry knows a guy, knows a guy who can do this, knows a guy who can get you this. And, and not only do they know a guy, they're going to do it better. You need an AK-47? Great. Here's a Mercedes Benz full of AK-47s. Oh, no, you can keep all of it. Go ahead. It's fine. You owe me later. It's so, so manipulative. And, and, and again, it just, all of these clan coteries were really well done. And yeah, we could we could probably do a whole show on just the clan coteries. Super I, I well really done. liked that part. I thought that was fantastic. I did too. Uh, the book goes on to talk about playing humans and ghouls. Um, gives you character creation, uh, how to build a character with that. Um, we have not seen the ability to play either of those in V5 yet, so it is nice that they're bringing that into the game because sometimes you don't want to play a supernatural person. Not really sure why, but... I was going to say, sometimes you start off as a human and get turned into something later at a right? banquet. Uh, and then it also goes into some erratas. So there are some some fixes for V5. We're not going to go into that. Just understand that they are in the book. Uh, so make sure you, if you are playing V5 and you want to have that stuff, make sure you go and pick this up. Overall, I thought this was an excellent supplement. I think my biggest, biggest hangup is that it isn't in a physical form. This is one of those that they could have put it out in a paperback form, and, and I'd have been perfectly happy to spend $25 to buy it. 
And they may still once everything's done. Absolutely. I, I would love to see this hit, you know, end up on drive-thru RPG as a print-on-demand option. I think that would be a great addition to any V5 collection. So yeah, highly recommend it, guys. Make sure you go grab your free copy of it. I do have a link in the show notes where you can go and get it. Um, so that is our show for this week. Uh, and Nolan, unless you have anything else that we need to talk about. I don't. So next week, we are going to take the weekend off. Uh, it is the weekend of Christmas. We're going to take a break. And that is also giving Nolan and I a chance to get everything set up and finished and finalized for January 3rd when you and I will be going live. Are you ready for this? Can't believe it's January 3rd. Yep. I know. It's kind of hard to believe that we're coming to 2021 so quickly. Um Hopefully we see some, <laughs> I don't know, a much better year. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Well, again, that is our show for this week's every, this week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is our final show of 2020. We look forward to seeing you on Twitch, on YouTube, and of course in audio in 2021. Thanks for listening. Bye.